German Shepherd, uh, let me make sure I tell this right now, a German Shepherd, a pit bull, and a cat all died and went to heaven. And St. Peter was uh, on the th on sitting, sitting on the throne. Actually, I think it was Jesus at this, this particular aspect. So they made it to Jesus. And Jesus said, what have you contributed that I would allow you to spend eternity in heaven? And the German Shepherd said, well, I love my master. I love my ma master. Love beyond love. I would do anything for my master. I love my master. Jesus said, that's a good answer. Come in. Pitbull, what have you done that uh, would warrant your entry into heaven? And uh, the Pitbull said, I will protect my master. Anybody hurts my master, I'm going to take them out. He said, that's a good, good answer. Come in. He looked at the cat and said, cat, what do you have to say? And the cat said, I think you're sitting on my throne. <laughs> I thought that. Donnie, it, 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 that redeemed some. That has absolutely nothing to do with the message this morning. It has nothing to do. But I hope you got a good laugh out of that. And if those of you have a cat, you know exactly what I am talking. They are punks. I'm telling you, they are. And, uh, oh, well, there you have it. Uh, Luke 24. And we have a special treat for you at the end of what I have for this house. Luke 24. Uh, I believe we're going to go to probably, uh, if, if you will, just wait, wait there for me at Luke 24. Let me kind of paint a picture. Um, Jesus has just been horrifically murdered. Horrible, horrible death. Tied to the whipping post. And if you've seen the movie The Passion, that pretty much is how that went. That was pretty accurate with the 39 stripes. And uh, they watched him beat. They watched him arrested. The beard yanked from his face, crown of thorns in his head, nails in his hands and feet, a spear in his side. And they were trashed. They were beyond grief. They were beyond pain. They were zombied out. Uh, the hurt, the pain the, of all of that, and then the report that uh, someone had violated the tomb, that had rolled the stone away, and had taken his body. Uh, they paid the Roman soldiers to say that that took place, that happened. And so the disciples of Jesus are together, and they're going through their grief, and they're going through their hurt. And although he told them he was going to die, and he was going to resurrect on the third day, to stay in Jerusalem until he revisits Jerusalem. That was the Holy Spirit. Uh, a couple of the disciples didn't pay attention. They didn't, they didn't listen. They didn't uh, honor his last request. As many times we, we fall short of doing everything God calls us to do. And sometimes in our stubbornness, sometimes we'll miss the move of God. And, and uh, we, obedience is better than sacrifice. All the things that are attached to being a part of the family of God, obeying the Lord. Well, they began to walk to Emmaus. I've been to Emmaus. I did not walk. Uh, we took a bus. It's a seven-mile journey uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And two of the disciples were walking together to Emmaus. And while they were walking, grief-stricken, all beat up, beyond, beyond, beyond hurt, beyond pain. I don't know if you can imagine beyond hurt, beyond pain. And Jesus starts walking with them. And they don't know it's Jesus. One of the reasons why they may not have recognized him, in Revelation 1 and 3, when we see Jesus, his hair is white as snow. Uh, there's a medical term called hematridosis. 
And when the sweat glands burst under great anxiety and mix with the, with the perspiration and you begin to actually sweat blood, your hair can turn white immediately. They proved this at Auschwitz when they would, they would tease the, the Jews. Some got the gas, some did not. But in that moment, waiting for the gas to come out of the pipes there, uh, many of the Jews experienced hematidosis. So they may not have recognized him because his hair was white as snow. They may not have recognized him because he had something to show them and he didn't want them to recognize him right away. We're not, we're not sure his mindset, but they didn't, they didn't recognize him. So they start walking. He immediately picks up on their demeanor, immediately. And said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What, why are you so grieved? Why are you so beat up? And they said, where, ha- where have you been? Are you not aware they took our Lord and they crucified him and they murdered him? They placed him in a tomb. Where have you been? You know, where- <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Sometimes I feel the exact same way. Where are you, Lord? You're going to make me go through this on my own? I had experience yesterday that I'll share in a minute, but it was like, you just feel like you're on your own. You know, and that's, that's, that's where they were. And uh, so Jesus, he starts all the way from Moses to the prophets, the Bible says. He began to talk about every prophecy. 30 pieces of silver, not a bone broken, all the prophecies of the Old Testament, and I don't know how fast you can walk a mile. Uh, I'm probably in the 20-minute range because I'll have to stop for coffee. Uh, but if, if, if it was a seven-mile journey, uh, it was probably about at least two and a half to three hours of walking. And in that window, that window actually of disobedience because they were supposed to stay in Jerusalem, in that window, Jesus goes all the way from Genesis all the way to the first chapter of Acts, he begins to talk. He begins to expound. They get, he begins to uh, share what the Scripture had to say. And something happened in their spirit. Something changed in their spirit. I want to bring attention to, I believe, verse 28. Let me share verse 27 just to confirm what I just taught you. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all Scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as if he would have gone farther. I caught that several years ago. I think Jesus wants to take us farther than we realize that we can go. I think a lot of times we might get tapped out in prayer or tapped out in praise and tapped out into worship and to reach a, a, a particular level or a particular place. But I think sometimes in our yearning for the things of God, we fail to realize that he wants to honor us and support us and bless us and, 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 and be involved in what we're doing and take us to places we can't go by ourselves. And these guys were hurting. They were, they were frustrated, obviously. They just walked seven miles. And so the Bible said he would have gone on. But notice what they did. But they constrained him, saying that word constrained is a very, very strong word. They constrained him, saying... Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. It took him several hours to get there. It's nighttime. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass. I love it when the Bible says that. And it came to pass. As he said it meet with them, he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished 
out of their sight. We know that the broken bread represents the Eucharist body of Christ. We know from time to time here at Harvest we will celebrate the Passover and we'll take the bread and tear it into pieces and we'll take the, the broken piece which represents our brokenness and we dip it in, the, in the, the juice of the wine that represents the blood of Jesus. And so when we take what, what we've been broken and we dip it in the, in, the, in, the, in the wine, whatever we're going through in life, God has a handle on. And we're just dying to ourselves, and we're just acknowledging our need for him. And so what happens when he takes the bread and he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread and gives the bread, all of a sudden their eyes were opened and they knew him. And, and I, ponder, I ponder this, Cheryl, I ponder what, what truth is here that I'm missing? What's, what's going on here? And so I skipped down to, well, let's just share just a few verses. Verse 32. And they said one to another, did our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. So realize they just walked seven miles. They turned right around. It's nighttime. They turned right around and walked seven more miles, probably getting there about two or three o'clock in the morning. The disciples were where Jesus told them to be because they were believing God for a miracle. At two or three o'clock in the morning when they got back, the disciples were all there. And notice, if you will, verse 34. The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And then they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. In the breaking of bread. They broke bread a lot. And I'm assuming he trained the others how to break bread, but it was probably uh, was something that he did all the time. But there's something about the way he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it. Something, something happened that there was some kind of recognition and they realized it's Jesus. Now, this is a poor excuse for a loaf. But the only thing that I could thaw out. <laughs> There's nothing spiritual or holy or mystic about this. This is just a some kind of bun. I know. It smells pretty good. <laughs> I didn't eat breakfast. What did he do when he took the bread that got their attention? Did he yank it? Did he offer it up? Did he set it on the table and tear it in two? What did he do that they realized it was him? Go back to our text in verse 24. No, let me go somewhere else. I'll tell you where I want to go. Verse 30. And he came to pass, as he said it, meet with them, took the bread. Look at somebody say took. Bless the bread. Somebody say bless. Break the bread. Somebody say break. And gave the bread. Four truths there in this passage of Scripture. Number one, you and I were taken out of a horrible place, horrible place called the pit of sin. And we were put on a rock with a new song 
and a new blessing. I don't know your testimony. I don't know where you were when you came to make a decision that stuck. As a child growing up, I remember every altar call, every youth camp, every children's church, every special. There was all, I was always there at the altar. I mean, I, I really, my parents were pastors, and that's all I ever really knew. I played uh, four instruments in the, in, in the church during that season that I was at home. I loved the church. I, I loved the music. I, I loved all of that. But there was, a, there was a hold on my life called sin. And the enemy did not want me doing what I'm supposed to be doing or, or, or saying what I'm supposed to be saying or going where I'm supposed to be going. And so he put distractions in my life. Can anybody relate? And then I found myself, uh, Pastor Rhonda had moved out and staying with a family in the church. Uh, I was freebasing cocaine. I was shooting coke between my toes because I didn't want anybody to know that I was using. Uh, I was hooked, hooked on Marlboro. I was hooked on wine coolers. And I was playing a little bit with Valium and uh, uh, some speed. And, and that's where I was. I was a messed up puppy when I came to know Jesus. I, I was at a place where my own family didn't want when I say my own family, my cousins and, and those we all partied with, uh, they didn't want to be around me. They didn't, they didn't want to, they didn't, I was all cooked out. I was in a real tough place. I was in a lousy place. But I remembered that Sunday night, hello, when I went to that Sunday night service, and I remember the, I remember the music, I remember the worship, I remember the, the, the interpretation of tongues, medicine tongues, and I remember that night when I walked to that altar, and I can take you to that building and show you within just inches of where I recommitted my heart to the Lord. But when I gave my heart to the Lord that night, something changed in my psyche. Something changed in my spirit. Something changed in my mindset. Something changed in my attitude. Although I've been to the altar many times and prayed the sinner's prayer, this was the time that it seeded. This was the time that it it, 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 it fit into place. This, is the, this was the season that God had for me. And no matter how bad I was, no matter how far from God I was, he was there all the time. Aren't you glad this morning every single one of us have a testimony? I realize the younger ones don't have some of the testimonies that the rest of us have. I, re- I remember um, several years ago, I had a prophetic word for Marlisa Ball. We were in Valdosta, Georgia. And uh, I, I had, a, had a word of knowledge for her. She was in the altar area. And I told her that I saw her standing in front of thousands of people. And she was singing. And hundreds of hands were lifted in praise and worship. And uh, the, the pastor, uh, he went on to be with the Lord. I'm not going to say anything bad about him. But that church did not flow in that type of gifting. And they weren't comfortable with that word of knowledge. And, uh, and so I think that next night we closed revival out. And uh, I went on my way. She went on her way. Uh, entered into a local beauty pageant one, entered into a regional beauty pageant one, entered in the uh, state beauty pageant and won. And uh, the Lord opened the door for her to sing on international television uh, somewhere in the uh, getting ready for the Miss America pageant. She was a second runner-up, getting ready for the second, second pageant. She called and said, I'm kind of at, I'm kind of at um, loss at what I'm supposed to do. She said, I don't have a testimony like you. I didn't go to jail. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do this. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't have all that. And something came over me, and I've said this many times, Marlisa, the greatest testimony a young person could ever have is to say, I never drank. I never partied. I was a virgin on my wedding night. I always loved God. That's a better testimony than the testimony of, well, I was this and I was that. 
But each one of us have a testimony. Each one can relate that we came to a place where God took us up out of the miry. I don't know if you know what the word miry means, but have you seen quicksand? The more you struggle, the deeper you get. Can anybody relate? The more you struggle, the deeper. And that's where I was. And God put me on a rock. And David said he put a new song in my mouth. And many shall see and hear that new song. Well, since, that, since she was Miss America runner-up, not once, not twice, but over 100 times as she ministered to over 1,000 people in song. She was here. She ministered here several years ago. I, probably Chris and Sue's the only one that remember that. Uh, or maybe Linda. Do you remember Marlisa coming? And uh, so God, God fulfilled that testimony. But every one of us have a testimony. And they overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the lamb. So we have that testimony. So he took the bread and then he blessed the bread. The word bless or blessing is found in the Bible 480 times. The word curse or curse is found in the Bible 220 times. So I'm here to tell you that God blesses twice as much as he curses. The promises of God are yea and amen through Christ Jesus. We used to sing a song, every, every promise in the book is mine. Every scripture, every verse, every line, I'm leaning on his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine. It's there, it's for us, and yet we so, everybody has a Bible, but we may not be spending the time that we need to spend to see what the Bible says about us. I remind you when Jesus was talking at Emmaus, the Bible said he kept quoting scripture. He kept referring to the word. He kept referring to the prophets. And that's our, our life should be consistent that when we talk, we talk about the things of God. We focus on the things of God and we get involved in things of God so God can do what he wants to do in our life. So we're taken and we're blessed and then all of a sudden we're broken. Can anybody relate to humility? Can anybody relate to storms? Anybody relate to tribulation? Anybody relate to stress? You mean that's all a part of the process? Absolutely. Talk to the cocoon. It's that struggling that turns it into a butterfly. Talk to that pearl. It's that regurgitating of that oyster that makes that pearl. Talk about a diamond. Hundreds of thousands of pounds of pressure turns that piece of coal into a diamond. It's pressure. It's those things that we survive through the things of God that gives us a testimony and the ability to use it and share it. Can anybody relate to being broken? I mean, it seems like, like if I'm not careful everywhere I turn, I, I get broken. But God is in control. And I've learned that you're going to get to where God wants you to get regardless of the world or the enemy. Yesterday morning, we left Leesburg, Florida at 8 o'clock, planning to arrive in uh, Cleveland at about 3.30. It's about a seven, seven and a half hour ride. And uh, we were doing great until we hit Macon. And then it took us three hours to get to Atlanta. And so what was supposed to be a seven and a half hour journey turned out to be an 11 hour journey. But we got there. We got it done. Uh, yesterday, they were rocking, walking blocks and blocks and blocks. So finally, Christine says, I'm tired. I can't walk anymore. So she convinced her mom. Hello. She convinced her mom to get a taxi. And so not only can you make it, but it's okay to get a little help from time to time to push you a little farther than you need to be. Do I have a friend? After he took the bread, whatever he did, after he blessed it and broke it, then he gave it. For God so loved the world that he gave. And because of that gift today, we have things to offer to others that they desperately need. Do I have a witness in the building? Amen. There are people in our life that need exactly what we have, and yet we're so shy or so scared to give it to them. But when God breaks you and you survive, and you go through storms and you survive, 
Then you step into a brand new place of anointing where God can use you and God can give you. You're a gift to the sinners on the job. You're a gift to the sinners in your family. You're a gift to those that are struggling. You are the answer to their question. You are the solution to their problem. We need to start acting more like answers and we need to start, start acting like solutions and realize that we have the key to get somebody from where they're at to where we are. Amen. Taken, blessed, broken, and given. And I believe that's all I want to share with you. So I'm asking, we have a special treat. I'm asking my best friend, Al, to come and take it from here. And relax, we've done this before. Well, yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Yesterday, as we were driving, I ate something in the morning, and I was in agonizing pain like unbelievable. He was not feeling well, so he was praying for me as he was driving in back of me. Then he comes up ahead, and I began to pray for him. For 10 hours, I'm praying. By the time we got to Cleveland, Tennessee, 11 hours, I guess, by the time we got to Cleveland, Tennessee... I was so filled with the Holy Ghost that I could hardly even go to sleep last night. It was incredible. And my friend, this morning I said, man, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. I just have to share this with you. And the reason I have a shoe and a paintbrush is because two of the most precious men the world has ever seen, this was given to me. Back when I was seven years old, my dear father, half Sicilian, half Italian, gave me a brush, and he said, I want you to go and paint that wall right now. I was seven years old, so I went and I painted the wall. He said, I want you to paint over there. I want you to do that. Then we began to uh, basically pour concrete for a porch, our back porch. They're in Bridgeton, New Jersey. And so he gives me a little trowel. And he said, now, now try, to, uh, try to trowel it. Of course, I wanted to draw on it and make a rock and everything else, but he was, he was saying that. Now this is the other man that affected my life. His name was Joseph Madison Etherton, my dear grandfather. My father, being Sicilian-Italian, loved those hillbilly women. <laughs> so... He married my mother. Now, let me tell you about my mother. So here I am, and I'm doing the best I can to visit. I'm putting in new halogen bulbs, in, in the, and I'm putting new filters in the thing. But that man walks into the house, and she goes, oh, it's Hank. And so we're loading up flowers and all kinds of stuff that she's made for him. Why? Because... And this morning, in fact, you know, I've just, I've just bought her an air conditioner, bought her a brand new um, washing machine. This man walks in this morning as I'm talking to my mother. He, she says, oh, please tell Hank I love him. I love him. I love him. And I said, yeah, Mom, you know, I will do that. So, Hank, <laughs> I said, Hank, guess what? Mom loves you. There you go. He's my brother from another mother. <laughs> Or my mother from another brother. I don't know. Anyway, I have to share this with you this morning. This is so cool. 
Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Incidentally, they're going to put new eyes on me because I have to take these glasses off. My right eye has had two eye surgeries, and they're going to literally redo them on the 26th of April. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me. Anybody have war risen against you at times? The war should rise against me. My heart will be confident. One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in the secret of his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Now let me just share this with you. This scripture was given to me after a failed marriage in Birmingham, Alabama, by the uncle of a beautiful woman named Starla Rich. His name is Randall Weeks. He said, listen to me, I'm going to give you a scripture that will shake your life. If you'll just listen to that scripture, he said, this will transform you. So I began to live Psalm 27. Now, shall, now listen to this. He shall set me up upon a rock. Now, I was in trouble at the time when he, wrote, when he shared the scripture with me. But years later, I was camping in the Pisgah National Forest with a group of friends. And all of a sudden, God brought that scripture, he shall set me up upon a rock. A one week later, I began to build the first fake rock for a Mitsubishi dealership in Greenville, South Carolina. That has supported my ministry, those fake rocks. I've done Dollywood. I've done a project for Tomb Raider at Paramount Studios in Richmond, Virginia. And God has propelled me by because he set me up upon a rock. Now, the rock is Jesus. But I began to, the Bible actually says in Psalm 27, you said to me, Lord, seek my face. And I said, I will be obedient, and I will seek your face, God. Now, my dear grandfather, Joe Mango, I'm sorry, Joseph Etherton. There's a lot of Joes in my family. My dear grandfather would take a look at my feet, and he'd say, son, you'd be seven foot three if half your leg wasn't turned up. Size 14. We walked in to get a brand new pair of shoes, and I have to almost be a little bit ashamed because I, I have to walk up and very quietly, lady will say, what size do you take, sir? And I, what size, sir? Size 14. Now, in Spain, in, I'm sorry, in Ecuador, in South America, that size is size 47 or 44. So I would go in and say, tiene cuatro y cuatro. And I actually had a guy look at me in, in Ecuador, and he said, we don't, he said, Ave Maria, we don't have this size in all of South America. So it's always been a real funny thing. But I remember Grandpa Joe Etherton, and he simply would say, 
Son, you're so, those feet are the biggest feet I've ever seen. So it's been a real funny thing. But I began to obey God with that little man. And I want to share this with you. It's hard to, it's hard to really stay without crying. Yesterday I was crying all the day. I was praying for Hank. But my dear grandfather had cancer. He died. Of, he, he, he was... Uh, he began to deteriorate, and I was in revival in Nassau, Bahamas. And as I was in revival, the Lord impressed me, stop the revival, and go back to Florida. So I flew back. Now, my grandfather had become so, my Uncle Herman, my mother, we're family. We began to minister to him, but it was becoming so, and so very difficult, and he had fallen he was very weak. He was very tired. He, he was dying of cancer. And Isaiah 58, 7 says these words. Now, Isaiah is talking about the fast and doing obedience and feeding the poor and helping the hungry. The fast that I've chosen is one where you're helping people that are wounded. But in Isaiah 57 or 58, 7th verse, it says, hide not yourself. From your own flesh. And so what did I do? I began to realize, I've got to minister to this man. My mother was so burnt out. She was so tired. Because you, any of you have ever been a caregiver, you know that when somebody is dying, that's the time for ministry. Well, I flat out just told her, I said, Mom, listen, I want you to do this. I want you to take and go take some money. I gave her some money. I said, go shopping. Go visit your friends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle this. Now, I had never changed a diaper before October, uh, August, September, and October. And I had to actually go into a store and buy those Depends. Now, I didn't want anybody to know. I'd say, I'd say ooh, uh, well, so I'd, I'd like hide around and everything else. And uh, I'd make sure there were no pretty women and then I'd put them up on the, on the, uh, the counter, and I'd say, uh, this isn't for me. This is for my grandfather. So, so anyway, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'd go home, and I wouldn't hide myself from my, the needs of my own, my own flesh, so I began to minister to my grandfather. I'd change his diapers. I'd hold his hand. I'd read scripture to him. I'd pray with him. And on October 18th, 1988, I held his hand, and I felt he looked at me, and right before he passed away, right before he passed away, his eyes became so bright blue. It was like he was seeing, he was seeing heaven. Now, there's a, there's a reaction if you will do these things. The Bible says in Isaiah 58, if you'll do these things, if you'll help the poor, if you'll feed the hungry, if you'll not hide yourself in the knees of your own flesh, here's what will happen. Your light will rise in obscurity. Your darkness will be as the noonday. They that will be of thee. Now listen to this, Hank. Pastor Hank. Friend Hank. Mom's favorite Hank. <laughs> They that will be of thee will build the old waste places. Who's of you? 
that beautiful young lady right there that's engaged to Mike Brown. Christine, they that are of thee, your congregation, shall build the old waste places, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. I want to tell you something. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what? I, I just look back at family. A year ago in October, I'm sorry, August, Ben Falcone, the husband of Melissa McCarthy, cast me in a movie with his wife. Out of the blue, it just came. He found my profile and he said, I want that guy as my Italian dignitary. I had a full beard. I couldn't figure out what color because my beard was white. My hair is salt and pepper, and my eyebrows are dark. So I said, man, i got to make myself, i got to make myself. So they made me send in a photo, and they cast me. And I said, wow, this is great. I'm going to be in a movie. But you see, when I had my first eye surgery in, on the 24th of April, 2013, there were angels in my room, and those angels told me what my future would be, that I would play a, in a movie where I would be an ancient Jewish fighter, and then I would play an Italian singer. That movie last year was neither one of them, but it was the door that's beginning to work. This year, I got the opportunity to be cast in a in a uh, move, I'm uh, not a movie, but a. Uh, no, it, it'll come to me in a second. A sitcom, not a sitcom, a reality TV show. Lord have mercy, it took a while. A reality TV show of people that are doing spectacular things, senior adults, people over 50, that are doing spectacular things. So they made me send in a video, and in that video, I said, I'm going to give my testimony. So I sent the video in. This is what I said. I own a company called Mango Rock. In 2012, I had a massive brain bleed that paralyzed me, left me blind, and I was in a hospital and I didn't think I was going to make it. In fact, my brother, my brother, my real brother, said, I didn't think you were going to make it. So I took all your silver <laughs> from South Carolina, put it in my safety deposit box. I said, Joe, thank you. You didn't think I was going to make it. But here's what, here's what I said on the video. I simply said, it was, number one, my faith in God. Number two, my dear, wonderful family. And number three, sheer drive and determination that I was not going to be in that wheelchair. I got up out of the wheelchair. I walked across the parking lot with my walker. I put the walker in the back of my Uncle Herman's truck, and I never used it again. And four weeks later, I walked four miles on the Ocean City, Ocean City, New Jersey boardwalk. That's what faith in God, that's what family that's what sheer determination will do to you. You will get up off a wheelchair. So anyway, I sent it in, and I've got some pretty good response from it. I don't know if I'll get it, but I believe I will. 
But you see, there's coming a time where there's going to be a movie that I will play a bearded uh, Jewish rebel. And then there's coming a time where I'll sing a song. And I've met with producers this year and in 2015. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Thank you, God. So anyway, in Jesus' name, i got to share this with you. Yesterday, as we were praying, I was listening to Carmen sing the old rugged cross. And as I was praying for that man, and I was praying for myself, I began to say, oh God, the old rugged cross, the old rugged cross where you were crucified, Jesus, and with your stripes, I am healed. With your stripes, I am healed. I had the 700 Club praying for me. I had people in my church praying for me. And I began to feel a peace come upon me, and I felt that pain just leaving, just left. And then I began to pray for him. And as I prayed, I felt the presence of God. With your stripes, I am healed. With your stripes, I am healed. With your stripes, I am healed. I want to pray for somebody this day. I don't know what your need is. You know what Pastor Hank said? Hey, preach that restoration sermon. Lord have mercy. I only had five sermons when I evangelized. Usually if it went over five, time, five nights, I was pretty well done. But one of the sermons was Isaiah 58, and the other was Joel 2.25. I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Amen. Amen. I am walking in that restoration. Would you just stand right here and bow your heads? I thank you, God. And I just want to begin to pray. I just want to begin to pray for one of my favorite churches in this world. Father God, and as I pray, if you need special prayer, I don't know if it's healing of your body. That's restoration of, of, your, of your body. I don't know if it's healing of your heart. God is the God who heals the broken heart. I don't know if it's a renewal or a revival. God is the God that gives us revival. Habakkuk said, will you not revive us again? In wrath, remember mercy. So I want everybody to bow your heads. And as I begin to pray, if you have a special need, I want you to come up out of your seat and just walk up here and just let me pray. When somebody walks up, like, come on up, Gene. Somebody getting back a Gene. We're going to have a prayer time this morning. Hallelujah. Anyone else need prayer? Come on up. In Jesus' name, I pray for this blessed man this blessed person, Gene Cantrell, God, and the family Cantrell. I pray for mighty, moving, Holy Spirit revival in this family. God, he is the head. God, anyone else that needs special prayer, please come on up and pray for Gene in Jesus' name. Anyone that needs restoration, you have been broken, you have been wounded, you have seen your life fall apart in Jesus' name. Come up and take my hand, sweet. God, I just pray for my sister, God, right now. God, for healing, I pray for restoration of her finances right now in Jesus' name. I pray for restoration of her family. God, you have seen the brokenness in the night. You have seen the wounds as God, it seemed like 
this night I don't want to live. God, I've been there, and God, I've been there, and I have cried out, help me, God. Oh, God, I pray for a new revival of living. God, where your life flows through her. In Jesus' name, and this blessed child, in Jesus' mighty name, I pray for Jean Cantrell, for the family, God. Bless this family. Touch these children, God. Strengthen Jean, God. Give this family a mighty Holy Ghost revival. In Jesus we pray. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Let me pray for this, my dear sister. Father, oh God, thank you, Jesus. Jesus.